Again, we are in the book of Haggai. We have seen already in chapter 1, there is a call by Haggai to call the people who have now returned back to their homeland from captivity in Babylon, and they have returned back home, and uh, it is there that they are called to rebuild the temple. But they have not been faithful to do this. There was some opposition, some difficulties, and they got busy with other things. There were misplaced priorities, and Haggai comes and he says to them, consider your ways, wake up. There used to be a guy named Earl Pitts that was on WLW. He was kind of a hillbilly commentator, and uh, he would always end his little dialogue with, wake up America. Well, that's Haggai. Wake up Judah. Look around you. Do you not see what's going on as you, God has not been blessing you. Your crops are not prospering. You're putting your money into a bag that's full of holes, and God is getting their attention, and he's saying, Haggai is saying, you're not doing what God has called you to do. You're not seeking first the kingdom of God. And so here's this call to uh, return to do what God has called them to do. That was the first of four sermons we saw last week the second sermon, and these were all given with a, within a four-month period. The first one would have been at the end of August. The second one would have been October the 17th. We saw this last week. It was a word of encouragement to the people. They've returned back to a devastated land. The temple is destroyed. The city of Jerusalem is destroyed. Over 42,000 have returned, this little remnant, and they're seeking to rebuild out of the Uh, the chaos that had overrun Jerusalem, and it could be a very discouraging thing. Many remembered the former temple and its glory. They were just trying to lay the foundation now, and he wants to encourage them. I want you to know that, that God is with you. It may seem like the day of small things, but God is with you. He's in your presence. Do not fear. Carry on the work that God has given you to do. But know this, as you are building this temple... This temple's glory is going to exceed the glory of the former temple, the temple of Solomon. It was a glorious temple, but this is going to precede it. And I think primarily that is true because it would be the very Son of God that would come and would be there in that temple himself, pointing to the fact that he himself is the temple where God and sinners meet. It is in the person of Of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this encouragement that is given to them. Today we see the third sermon, which is blessings for a defiled people. Blessings for a defiled people. We see this in verses 10 to 19. This is on the 24th day of the ninth month, verse 10, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai. This is December 18th. This was my mom and dad's anniversary. Uh, But he gave two sermons on this day, and this is the first one. There is the promise of blessings for a people that have become defiled. So again, he's going to tell the people, consider your ways. As you look at your history these last years and even now, what has happened? You, You are not experiencing the blessings of God which Deuteronomy 27 and uh, 28 spoke about, if you obey me, I will bless your crops, I will bless you. But as you look around you, that's not what you've seen. You've seen other things. So we see in verse 15, now then, again, consider 
from this day forward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to the heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. So we see that things have changed. There has been what we would say a curse that has come upon them, just as God had spoken through Moses in the Mosaic Covenant. Verse 17, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. So he's saying, look around you guys, wake up, look back at your history. And here he's going to, I think, again, encourage them. Even though they have known and experienced the curse of God upon them because of their great disobedience and not returning to him, yet there is hope for them. There is hope. And so, first of all, we see an object lesson from the Mosaic ceremonial law in which Haggai, or God's going to paint a picture for them to help them to see that they have become defiled, that they are unclean. And so he speaks in verse 11, thus says the Lord, ask the priests about the law. The priests were kind of the experts on the law of Moses. And so here's a question that Haggai is presenting to them. God is presenting to them. Verse 12, if someone carries a holy meat in the fold of his garment and he touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? So the experts of the day, the priest, to give their legal opinion, he asked them, what happens in this case? And the priest answers, definitely not. Now, this seems strange to us. I mean, this language here, it's talking about meat that would have been offered, holy meat, offered on the altar. And uh, sometimes that meat of the animal would be devoted completely to God. It would be completely consumed. Sometimes with a sin or a guilt offering, that meat would be divided up and the priest would eat it in the temple complex and their sons could come and eat it. It was one of the perks of being uh, a priest. You got steaks or whatever it might have been, lamb chops. And so they were able to share in these things. But then there was one, it was the um, fellowship offering. Even the worshiper was able to take some of the meat home with him. And so what they would do is they would put it in the hem of the garment. They didn't have Kroger bags or anything like that. So they could put it in the hem of their garment. And even Leviticus tells us that their garment would be clean. That would be okay. So they would take this meat and they would go home. And the question is asked, if they happen to touch some other food items, this holy meat, this holy food that had been consecrated unto God, that was ceremonially clean, if it would touch some of these other articles, would it make them to be clean? So this is consecrated meat. It's clean. It's holy. Does it, if it touches these other things, make them to be holy or consecrated? And the priest says, no, that's not the case. All right, then there's the second one. Then Haggai, verse 13, it says, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? All right, somebody, if you touched a dead body under the Old Testament covenant, Mosaic covenant, 
If you touched a dead body, you were unclean ceremonially. You couldn't go to the temple. You had to go through purifications. So you were considered unclean. Now, in this case, if this unclean person touched some of these things, what happened? Do they become unclean? And what is the response? Yes, they will become unclean. And so, again, this is strange for us in the day in which we're living. We didn't live under the Mosaic law, but there are things that we learn from this. And maybe a way that we can understand this is what is being communicated here, maybe in in terms that we would understand, can a healthy man touch someone who is sick, and does that health communicated, is their health communicated to the sick person? What's the answer? No. All right. What if someone is sick, defiled, sick, and they maybe are around somebody that's healthy? Can he communicate his sickness? Yes. We've all been through COVID for the last two and a half years, haven't we? We've learned a lot about, you know, staying away, wearing a mask, and all of that stuff because you can communicate COVID, but you cannot communicate health. All right. So this is the point that he's getting across. The Old Testament ceremonial holiness was not something that was transferable. But defilement is something that is, uh, is, is transferable. So notice verse 14. Then Haggai answered and he said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands... And what, and what they offer there is unclean. So here's a picture of this history of Israel. They have been unfaithful. They have broken the covenant, uh, the Mosaic covenant. The curses of God have come upon them. And so everything that they touch, we might say, is, is unclean. Isaiah said it this way of Israel. From the top of the head to the bottom of, of the feet, there's no soundness. There is uncleanness. There is defilement. And uh, even as this remnant has returned, they have not been faithful. And just by working on the temple is not going to make them to be holy. They, they have experienced the curse of God upon their nation. But what we have in the latter part of this sermon is the promise of blessing. There's the promise of blessing that is given. So in verse 15 down through verse 19, he talks about, again, look around you, see what's happened. There's the curse that lies upon the face of the earth, upon your, uh, upon your land, upon your people. This has been the history for the last several centuries. Things have not gone well. And again, you work hard and you put your money in a bag and it's full of holes. Your crops are not doing well. He talks about the mildew that has come upon them. And this goes directly, again, back to Deuteronomy 28. If you obey me, I'll bless you. But if you don't, I will bring curses upon you. One of the specific things is there will be blight and there will be mildew and there will be hail. And yet you did not return to the Lord. So here is this language again of a curse. But we come to verse 19. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But notice the last phrase of this verse. 
but from this day I will bless you. Here is the mercy and the kindness and the grace of God. But I will bless you. This reminds us of a lot of verses where we have that little word but, where it goes to the complete opposite. We were dead in our sins and transgressions, but God. He made us alive together with Christ. Romans 3, by the law comes the knowledge of sin. By the law, Israel did not show us show themselves how righteous they were, nor does the law show us how righteous we are. All have sinned, and we have fallen short of the glory of God. So by the law, Paul says, comes the knowledge of sin. I'm a sinner. I'm defiled. I am unclean. But the righteousness of God, Paul goes on to say, has been revealed in the gospel. Jesus Christ has come into this world to people who are under a curse, and he has provided for them a righteousness that they do not have. So there is this cleansing. There is this hope for sinners that is found in the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the promise, that I will bless you. And here again we see the magnanimous grace of God. Now for Israel, what that would mean, at least in these days, we read in Zechariah, the next book we'll be looking at, where we, we hear Zechariah saying this in Zechariah 8, verses 11 and 12. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. So here's the promise. Yes, you've been under a curse. That's not the end of the story. Judgment has fallen upon you, but that's not the end of the story. There's a new day that is ahead. There's the promise. God says, I will bless you. And for the immediate future, that would be for them. They would know and enjoy God's blessing upon them, the labor of their hands and the land. But I think it's even looking beyond that. It's looking to the blessing that will come in the promised seed, the promised Messiah, who will bring according to the Abrahamic covenant that was a covenant of promise that will bring blessing to all the nations, to all the earth. Here's a promised seed that will come to those who are under a curse. And we've all fallen in Adam, haven't we? We have come under the curse of sin. And not just that we have fallen in Adam, but we too have sinned. We are defiled, aren't we? There is none righteous, no, not one. From the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, there's no soundness in us. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are unclean. But brothers and sisters, there is one who has come into this world who comes to bring blessing. Blessing. It is found in Jesus Christ. And he is bringing far greater blessings to us than crops and so forth. He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. They are given to us in Christ. And it is Jesus Christ who overcomes the curse and brings the blessing. Think about the Gospels. Jesus is 
ministering among what kind of people? People that are sick. People that have diseases. And what do we find the Lord Jesus Christ doing? We find a leper in Matthew 8. And what a leper would do in those days, because they were unclean, and if they touched someone that uh, was ceremonially clean, they could go to the temple and offer sacrifices. But if they came in contact with a leper, they would become unclean. That would be communicated to them. So they would say this as they would walk down the street, or if they'd be around someone, they would say, unclean, unclean. Well, here's this leper that comes to Jesus. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He's heard something about this Jesus. If you're willing, you can make me clean. You can cure me of this leprosy. And what we find Jesus doing to this man is reaching out his hand and what? Touching him. Now, most Jews would say, Jesus, you don't want to do that. You don't want to touch this man. You will become unclean. But the opposite happens in this case, doesn't it? Jesus, who is holy and righteous, he touches him, and the unclean man is made well. Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. And he is cleansed. We also have in Matthew 9, Jesus coming to a woman who has an issue of blood. Again, this was something that made her ceremonially unclean. And what does she do but reach out and touch the hem of the garment of Jesus? And she is made well. And then we have Jesus with a ruler of the synagogue who has a daughter that has died. And Jesus comes to this young girl that has died in her youth. And he reaches out his hand and he touches her. Jesus does not become defiled. She becomes alive. She becomes well. And what we have is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who comes to people who are defiled, who are unclean. We have all sinned. And everything that we do, even the best things that we could offer, all of our righteousness is as as, as filthy garments. But we come to this Jesus and we look to him and we find cleansing for our sin. We find forgiveness. The curse is removed and we are blessed. Listen to these words of Galatians three fourteen. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do that? The curse of the law was upon all of us. How did Jesus cure us from the curse of the law? Well, the writer tells us, Paul tells us, he has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become accursed for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we, might be, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Blessing has come to us. Jesus is the one who was accursed for us. We should have been sent outside of the city walls of Jerusalem as unclean and under a curse. But it is Jesus who went outside the wall and who was crucified on a tree, was made accursed for the guilty. 
And all who come to Jesus, what do they receive? They receive forgiveness. They receive pardon. They receive cleansing. Sin defiles us. It makes us polluted morally. We are separated from God. But he cleanses us. It's a beautiful picture in Scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise be to God for such a Savior as this. You were under a curse, Haggai says, but the Lord gives a promise here, a word of encouragement. There is blessing. I will bless you. No matter how bad it had been, I will fulfill the promises that I have made to Abraham, and I will bring blessing. I will bring blessing. And that leads us to the second. And this is his fourth sermon on the same day, uh, December 18th. And one of the concerns that would have been on the minds of the people is this, all right, we're back here, we're rebuilding the temple. But what what about the promise to David that he would have a son that was going to rule and reign forever? You know, the kings, they made a wreck of things. And... Here is the promise that had been made long ago, the promise of a Davidic dynasty. We see this in 2 Samuel 7. There is a seed that will come from David, and through his line will come one, a king who will rule and reign forever. Think about that. A king who will reign and rule and reign forever. There will be no end to his dynasties. We've seen in history the, the rise and the fall of dynasty after dynasty, kingdom after kingdom, king after king after king. But there's one coming. He's going to rule and reign forever. And then that fills in the picture for us in the Old Testament. He's going to be a righteous king. He's going to be a just king. He will bring about equity. He will rule with power and authority. He will be a, a holy king. And so there's this promise that's made to David. Through his line, there's one coming, and he will be our king. He will be the king of his people, king of the earth. So this promise is given. But what we find as we look at the history that we've been looking at, as we studied the minor prophets, is this. There's a curse that has come upon the Davidic dynasty. The last son of David who was ruling in Jerusalem was Jehoiachin. And there is a curse that is pronounced upon Jehoiachin and upon all these ungodly kings. There there is a curse. And we read about it in Jeremiah 22. As I live, says the Lord, through though Coniah, it's the same man, Jehoiachin, this king of Judah, though he were my signet, the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off. And I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the hand of the Chaldeans. So I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. And that happened to Jehoiakim Chin. We read this morning in Psalm 89, that's why we read this chapter, Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. But you have cast off and abhorred 
You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all the hedges. You have brought his stronghold to ruins. The Davidic dynasty is in ruins. There's a curse that lies upon King Jehoiachin. But that's not the end of the story. What we find here is that there is going to be the restoration, and this promise is given here in Haggai. Verse 21, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and the riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel. This is a sermon directed personally to Zerubbabel. I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shetiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Four or five times in this little short book, this man, Zerubbabel, is given his name, and he's the governor, and he is the son of Shetiel, who was the son of Jehoiachin, showing us that Zerubbabel is in the Davidic line. But he's not a king ruling on a throne right now. He, this guy's just a governor. There's still the Persians that are they're ruling. But here is this man who is of the Davidic line, and here's the promise. I'm going to make you like a signet ring. What is a signet ring? Well, a signet ring was something that a king would wear, and it spoke of his authority. It would be something that he would use to seal with wax a document or a decree that he made. He would put his impress on it, and it would show that this is from the king. It is authoritative. So that was a very important thing. He would wear it on his finger, or else he'd wear it on a chain around his neck. It was associated with his authority, with his power, who he was. And here's the picture that to Zerubbabel and to the Davidic line, God is going to restore this promise, even though, again, they've made a wreck of things. And there is a curse that had come upon Jehoiachin. God is going to restore the Davidic line. He is going to fulfill the promise that was made to Abraham. There's one coming from you, Abraham. He's going to bring blessing to the nations. There's one coming from you, David. He's going to rule and reign forever. And we see here again hope for these people as they return back to the land. God has not forgotten his promises. Now turn over, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1. Familiar verses to us. Isn't it interesting? The New Testament begins with a genealogy. Why in the world would you begin with a genealogy? Well, it's bringing together all of these things from the Old Testament. And it's saying to us, he's here. The long-awaited Messiah, the promised seed of Abraham, the promised seed of David is here. And we pick it up in verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, 
and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So there's the deportation. And we pick it up, verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, uh, Jeconiah was the father of Shetiel. That's that's the same guy, Jehoiachin. He's got several names. So here is Jeconiah, who was the father of Shetiel, and Shetiel, the father of who? Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel traces him, and we get to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Here is the promised seed. Here is the king. Here is the one who had been promised, and he has come. To Mary, she was told by the angel, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall call, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Psalm 2, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion and he will rule and reign. Ask of me of the nations, and I will give them to you as an inheritance. Here he is. Out of a curse comes cleansing, blessing, and out of a cursed line there comes this king, this promised one. He has come to bring blessing, and he has brought that blessing to us. It is in him. How thankful we can be Though the Lord shakes the nations, kingdoms fall and rise, kingdoms fall, but this king will rule and reign forever. And even now he has said, all authority and power has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go into the world and make disciples. Preach the gospel. All authority belongs to him. How thankful we can be that we belong to King Jesus We get so frustrated, don't we, with political leaders in our day. That's nothing new. That's that's what history is made of. But we belong to this King, Jesus, who is going to rule and reign forever and ever. And I want to read where the, the apostle picks up these words from Haggai and Hebrews 12, verses 26 and 27. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Looking back to Mount Sinai, when God came down, he shook the earth at Mount Sinai. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. God's going to shake this earth again one day, isn't he? There's a final great day of the Lord where he is going to shake the nations, and he will bring in his judgment. There is only one thing that will remain, those things that cannot be shaken. The Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Christ, the gospel These things cannot be shaken. This is the one to whom we belong. 
And thanks be to God for his mercy and his grace to us in him. If you're here today without Christ, we point you to this Savior. There is one name given under heaven whereby you can be saved, only one name. It's found in Jesus Christ. He's a great king, but he's also a great savior to save us from our sin. Might you flee to him. Might you live in Christ. I think we're going to sing just the last verse again of Psalm, uh, song number 106. Praise him, praise him. That speaks of, again, our prophet, our priest, and our king as we close this morning. Number 106 is the last verse. So if you will, let's stand together as we sing. And now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, by his blood he's made us a kingdom, a priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. May the Lord go with you. You are dismissed.